Welcome to season two of Inboxing. I'm your host, Hillel Berg. Inboxing is a podcast all about email marketing. We have guests week to week from all over the industry. Strategy and marketing to deliverability and development. We cover it all and we have a great time while doing it. And we have an amazing sponsor for this year and that's OnGage. Email marketers who run high volume email programs know that the ease with which you can make decisions impacts campaign success. That's why OnGage made sure that it's easy to act on, optimize and leverage your data. With OnGage, you'll be able to send your customers on personalized journeys based on the data from an action-based dashboard and with in-depth reporting. To learn more, visit hilloberg.com slash ongage and discover what ongage can do for you. There are still opportunities to sponsor season two. And if you're interested in becoming a sponsor, you can check us out at hilloberg.com slash sponsor. And without any further ado, here's season two. Keep it simple. You know, I just start with, a, you know, if you only have conversion and AOV, fine, start with that. And then start to segment. I love intent, intent um, audiences, basically switching people. It's essentially a marketing funnel, low intent, medium intent, high intent. High intent are the people who are giving you signals that they're ready to buy. Medium intent are somewhere in the middle and low intent is, is, is signals that are not ready to buy. You can do that based on the type of activity they're taking actively on your site. We use paid views quite a bit. There are a lot of different ways you could define it, but you could start with something really basic like that. If they're visiting a time, they're 20 plus pages, that's a really good signal that they are interested <laughs> in something, right? And then start to start to carve those, started to carve out the plan and the process first, and then run with what you got. Keep it simple. Today in inboxing, Ben Malky. Regional Vice President of Customer Success at Dynamic Yield. All right, welcome back to season two of Inboxing. It's been a long summer, moving into the fall. You know, season one was a quite an adventure and amazing guests. Um, and season two, I have some really fantastic guests coming up. And our guest today is uh, Ben Malky. He's the uh, head of customer success, I believe, at Dynamic Yield. And Dynamic Yield is a really interesting company. They've been doing uh, really fantastic work in the data and segmentation space. Such a good job, actually. They were bought by one of their customers, uh, McDonald's, um, of all people. So uh, without any further ado, I'll let Ben talk all about it. Please welcome Ben Malky. Hi, everybody. Thanks for having me. Hello. Oh, for sure. For sure. Thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. Where are you right now? Where are you calling from? I am holed up in my toddler son's room in downtown Brooklyn, New York. Oh, wow. <laughs> All right. <laughs> downtown Brooklyn. All right. I grew up not that far from there, uh, over in Rockaway. Oh, really? Uh, oh, nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you grew up more on this side of the world, right? Like... Uh, a little bit, yeah. Moving around quite a bit <laughs> and then a lot in Latin America, but I, uh, I am oh, a really? Brooklyner through and through. Oh, really? I had no idea. I had no yeah. idea. Um, that's really, really interesting. Yeah, I had no, no idea. All right, so that we'd start with there. Um, yeah, so tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey to Dynamic Yield. Yeah, thanks. Um, so I started... Um, Oh, God, where to start? You know, it feels like I've been working forever. But, you know, in uh, 
not to go too far down the rabbit hole, but um, you know, I, I discovered my love for marketing a little bit late after I'd already graduated college and been working for a while. Um, tried to break into uh, to the field, uh, living in Miami for no good reason in New York, and it wasn't working. So I, I ended up getting an MBA uh, in marketing and um, very luckily got fired from my first job uh, as a marketer at a financial services <laughs> firm, uh, which led me on my path to digital. Uh, starting with a, an agency that trained WPP and Omnicom agencies and, and what the internet was in 2011. And um, eventually that led me into uh, managing SEO and SEM for uh, big franchise networks. And I then made the jump um, to uh, Dynamic Yield after um, being an SEO for at an SEO platform. And I've been at DY for like f- almost four years. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, okay. Tell us a little bit about Dynamic Yield. I don't think, you know, I certainly wasn't too you know, aware of who you were uh, until I looked it up. I watched a very interesting video uh, with Lior uh, talking about what they did for McDonald's at the drive-thrus. Uh, but yeah, can you tell me, you know, just, you know, give a little pitch about Dynamic Yield. We'd love to hear a little bit about it. Yeah, well, fun fact, I was the dumbest guy in the room uh, for all of the the initial McDonald's project, um, basically, you know, not doing much more than getting the smart ones coffee. Uh, well, I said, is there anything else you need? Uh, but um, yeah, so Dynamic Yield is, uh, well, listen, I'm biased. I would say we are the leader in the space of uh, personalization. Um, we actually have been named a leader by uh, Gartner in the Magic Quadrant for, I think, three years in a row. Um, sorry to marketing if I screw the years up. It might be three, it might be four. I'm pretty sure about three, though. But anyway, so what we do is is uh, is personalization. Essentially, it's a wonderful buzzwordy term uh, that can be defined a lot of different ways. But the way we would define it is executing content, um, experience, navigation, messaging, recommendations against an identified user attribute or segment um, or audience, if you will. So basically, you can change a lot of stuff on your website based on um, uh, you know what you think is going to be best for a particular audience or segment. Okay. So is it mostly website stuff, or is it like also like I don't know, with ads or you know dynamic ads? Can is that a thing? Uh, it is a thing. We are primarily focused <laughs> on the website experience, but we do have um, app integration. We do have email integration. We have uh, so we work at email as we do have some ad products, uh, but mostly uh, you know the bread and butter work is email and, and web. Uh huh. All right. So this this. You know, inboxing. I brand the inboxing as the uh, the you know the podcast of all about email marketing. So I'd be curious to hear like how you know how that works. Like you know, if you're using Clavio, you know, can you then bring in Dynamic Yield and and integrate it with what you're doing on Clavio, or or is it yeah. like its own platform? No, we we precisely do integrate with. Actually, we have a ton of clients who are who are using Clavio and, and others. Um, essentially, what we can do on top of Clavio is personalized recommendations. Um, triggered emails and uh, that you know that are uh, again based on a particular segment concept and uh, also content a b testing as well so essentially it's it's adding a layer of personalization onto your existing ESP all right that's that's awesome <laughs> we yeah. love hearing about that kind of stuff all right so let's move on all right so what do you think I'm missing a you there but what, what do you think are the biggest reasons many companies aren't using their data in their marketing 
Yeah, I, I uh, you know, in, in the run up to this, I, it, it's a that's a big statement. It's a big statement. You know, the premise, there are a lot of companies that uh, get it absolutely right. And sure, definitely a lot of companies that aren't. I would even say um, there are a lot of companies that think they're doing it, uh, that think that they're applying and utilizing data uh, correctly, but probably aren't. But that said, I, I think a lot of companies have trouble getting out of their own way. Um, and really what it comes down to is creating a clear, like aligned strategy on how to use your data. Cause every company has so much of this. Um, and it's a big sort of vague concept like data. What does that exactly mean? But the problem is in particularly in larger companies, there are so many cooks in the kitchen. There's like a VP for every possible thing under the sun and they don't really empower the people actually doing the work. So much of it is based on sort of anecdotal concepts. This is what we've seen, what I've seen quite a bit in my career, um, is that there's just a lot of opinions uh, and that the people who are actually doing the thing who are actually going to be the ones tasked with creating strategies based on the data that they have um, aren't, aren't empowered enough to make the decisions they need to make. And then we see a lot of uh, companies that don't really have a, a, a clear strategy uh, for what's important to them and uh, they might be a little too distracted with, for example, the concept of like a CDP. Um, I can't tell you how many times I've seen companies say, well, we need a CDP, we need a CDP. They work really hard to integrate a CDP in, in all of their systems to generate all the data that they, that they think they would need. Uh, but the, what they forget is what do I do with the CDP after it gets, you know, Start can, I, can, I, can, I, can, I, can I cut you off there for just for a second? You just yeah. define CDP, you know, like oh, yeah. from the customer ones. data platform. So basically, sort of a, a unified customer profile. So essentially, uh, it would be all of Hillel's purchases, all of your web activity, some of the stuff that you've bought potentially elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's a, a really interesting concept of how do I aggregate all the things I know about you in one place. Um, Got it. Okay. A lot of these companies, it's sort of like a CRM plus. Uh, a lot of these companies, they've spent a lot of effort and energy on getting something live, uh, but they forget to have an owner. They get to have someone who's actually tasked and accountable for it and essentially like a strategy for what to do with it. Uh, and, and <laughs> right, like you've created this amazing thing and then there's like no one at the wheel. <laughs> in, my, in my 10 years of SaaS uh, or so, uh, you know, an owner for a particular major initiative or program is the determinant of success. Um, and a lot of times there's not someone who's actually tasked with being accountable for it. And then, you know, I, I would be remiss if I didn't say this. There's so much data that's out there, right? But we live in an age where we can have, like, the, the companies that are doing this best have a strong understanding of their customer segments, right? Of like, what are the true customer segments that are important to them? And uh, a lot of companies struggle with with how to do that and how to do that in a repeatable, scalable way. All right, awesome. All right, our topic today is leveraging data to create a better BFCM season. That's Black Friday, Cyber Monday, which is really coming up now that we're in uh, the month of November. So anyway, so how should companies be leveraging their data to create better emails, drive a better uh, holiday season? Yeah, I would say it's a it's a great question. I would say, well, hopefully they've 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 planned that out right now. But uh, <laughs> uh, considering we're November uh, already, but ideally, um, what I would like to see 
for example, if I was consulting a company, is that I'd like to see that their email lists are are, are already segmented by this point. Um, and there's a very clear strategy behind the segmentation of that list. Um, the one that I personally prefer for email, uh, for an email database or an email list would be RFM, so re- recency frequency. So they have a strong understanding of like who are my active, like really active, really valuable customers who, and then sort of a gradient from there. I uh, and everybody in my company would roll their eyes because this is all I ever talk about. Um, I'm a very strong believer, of, you know, the world of ice for a lot of reasons, but I'm a very strong believer and advocate and proselytizer, if you will, for a uh, macro segments, a small number of, of big segments or big audiences. Um, so I'd like to see an RFM list split into like three or four tops. And the, I, ideally, that work should be happening uh, well before your, your holiday season. So, you know, already can start planning a strategy against how am I going to talk to my, my most valuable, most loyal, most active, uh, my sort of in the middle. They were active or they're maybe just sort of slightly active, not as valuable. And then the people I haven't seen in a while. Okay. Okay. What data points can be most effective? I guess you say RFM. <laughs> well, yeah, I love RFM as a concept or intent. Uh, we call it intent on on the website. Um, I, I'm a huge believer in that. Um, but you know, the data points that can be most effective in marketing—it's a big question. My, uh, I, I like to keep things simple. I like it simple. Um, I, 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 I don't think anybody should be sort of reinventing the wheel when it comes to to stuff like this. So. Keep it simple. Do if you're talking about web or digital in general, purchase per user or revenue per user, or even more simple conversion rate um, and AOV if you'd like. Um, CTR, particularly now with the changes in email, uh, you know we're we're going to be heavily. Obviously, the world of data and email is changing mm-hmm. aggressively right now, um, so we need to know sort of what performance we're driving based on sends and um, you know add to cart stuff like that. Don't don't reinvent the wheel. Use what's there. Uh-huh. Okay. But, you know, what I would say is also important is that you understand when and why you're going to use each of these data points, right? Purchase per user, for example, on the web is not suitable for every campaign that you run. If you're running something on your homepage, it's not a purchase per user as a primary. Um, if you're running something on email, understand probably now with all the changes that have been made, we want to know what's converting. Like, is this driving purchases or not? Uh, that that's pretty that's that's pretty simple, right? And again, we should also understand by those RFM audiences at the segment or audience and segment sort of interchangeable terms at the segment level. For my most active, my most loyal, I'm driving purchases, right? I want to get them back and I want mm-hmm. them to purchase. For my least loyal, least active, least valuable, maybe I'm just trying to get them on site and letting my web work do the do the magic from there. So not every KPI is a suitable um, or sort of uh, recommended for everything that you do. Know when and where and why um, for, for, each, for each KPI. And also my last thing is um, let the primary be the primary. I know that sounds sort of ridiculous, but <laughs> um, oftentimes I'll hear, oh, our primary KPIs are one, two, three, four. Primary means one. Have a campaign, have a really clear idea of what you're trying to do with that. Okay, awesome. So we kind of touched on this a little bit, but yeah, like how does 
how does dynamic yield work? Like, okay, like, is it, will it do RFM for me and create those segments? <laughs> no, we're not going to do RFM for you, but we have people <laughs> like me in your ear um, heckling you to do, uh, <laughs> to mm-hmm. identify your your impactful audiences or, or, or impactful um, segment segmentation concepts. Um, and then pushing you and sort of annoyingly uh, being pushy about you uh, about doing that work. Um, we like to consider our, you know, one thing I say about my uh, customer success group is that we are challengers uh, and we challenge our clients and we push our clients. Um, it's very Brooklyn of us. Um, but uh, um, so we're, we're going to help. First of all, we're going to consult you on, on, on understanding who those segments are and then pushing you to do the work. Um, and then we're going to help you execute a, a you know detailed targeted campaigns for each of those segments down to what copy are you using, what image are you using, what are we trying to drive, right? If we think about all the tools we have as marketers, um, you know, sometimes we're driving urgency, sometimes we're driving scarcity messaging, sometimes mm-hmm. we're driving promotional or exclusivity messaging, and uh, those aren't appropriate for all of your users all the time. Those are important for a particular segment in a particular moment, and we're going to help you. We're going to help you understand when, why, where, how, uh, and the what. Um, and then we're going to push you to do that. And then lastly, you know, from a technology perspective, you know, our, our technology is going to help you execute on that, whether it's a particular set of content or a particular, for example, recommendation strategy, uh, alg- uh, recommendation algorithm for, uh, for a particular email. So, you know, every algorithm has its purpose and, and uh, that, that's what we'll help you with. Right. It sounds like a lot of what you do is education. Is that fair to say? Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, that's a huge part of what we do. Yeah, I also listen. You know, what's what's um, I I often use the example of like email or paid search. You know, most companies out there, right? Email and paid search have been around for like twenty years, and there's an established playbook. There is a solid, established understanding of how it's supposed to work. What are the basics, the one on ones? When you get into the world of personalization, that's not true. That's not true. Uh, we haven't. You know, personalization hasn't been around for 20 years and there's still a lot of let's say raw personalization work in the marketplace and a lot of companies who are figuring it out now um and so so much of our time uh so much of our efforts and uh, is spent on educating clients not on not only how to do it but even how to resource it i talk to clients all the time about organizational resourcing around personalization um around process um and how to do it not just well on one campaign, but how to do it well on a repeated basis, which is to me the most important thing. I'm I'm a, a strong believer in, in process over everything. All right, that, that's awesome. All right, so what examples of data in marketing do you find inspiring? Yeah, this is a, a I love this question. You know, there's sort of a, a lot. Uh, this is going to be a really dated example, but it's one that always stuck with me. I mean, it's super super old. Uh, okay. But I love, and I've always drawn inspiration from uh, Nike Plus, uh, the original launch of Nike Plus. And I'll tell you why. No, okay, you know, this is predating Apple Plus, I assume. And this uh, is, yeah, this is and Disney Plus. All, why, why do you think they all came around? Um, <laughs> because this is one of the first examples in the digital space of a company understanding that their purpose is to use their resource platform and expertise to help their customers fulfill the promise of their brand, for example. 
Uh, Not that I'm like the biggest Nike guy in the world. I have all these like Nike products, but um, they understood, you know, I think Nike does brand better than most. And they understood that they're not just a shoe company, not just like an apparel company, that they're a company. Yeah, they're going to help you. uh, They're going to provide products that are going to help you achieve your fitness goals, right? And that's what they said to themselves. And Nike Plus, by providing a platform for people to track, you know, their, their, workouts and their runs and something that no individual would have been able to create themselves to build themselves um, was absolutely groundbreaking and I think the message and the concept and the thought around that um, still resonates with me because I think it is it's still a, an inspiring sort of concept and diagram. I think it's a great example because it also there you know it, they were it was an originator you know like they no one was doing any stuff like that yet no. you know like no. and then uh, yeah so like yeah basically and now you see it everywhere you know, and now uh, you see it everywhere right <laughs> um, yeah and, like all the running apps are shoot our companies one one hundred percent and they obviously they hit on something and there's another one that I love it's actually it's it's uh, this is self serving because it's a client of ours and. Uh, and we were involved in it, uh, but they'll, they'll, they should take all the credit for it. Um, Yeti Coolers, which is a really awesome, awesome, awesome company based in Austin. Um, they themselves have become almost like a lifestyle brand. You see their gear um, all over the place, uh, but they make like the biggest, most badass coolers uh, that anybody, anybody can buy. Um, biggest being sort of a relative term, but anyway, um, they they created something called the Cooler Finder on their website, which essentially is a, it's a quiz, um, and it's asking you, um, you know, the, the the way it works is you're on their website, you're looking at coolers, and it will ask you, hey, is this um, you know answer a couple of these questions, and and we'll help you find the right one. Is this for you or for somebody else, or for you for a group of people? Is it going to be you carrying it or multiple people carrying it? For <laughs> this type of activity or that type of activity? Um, is it for a couple of days or just a couple of hours? Uh, very simple questions that don't, you know, that that uh-huh, don't really, do too much thinking. Yeah, that really really simple and like really just to the point, and and then it spits out the recommendations. Now, why I find this inspiring is the why behind. The, the creation of this cooler finder, which was, you know, these are not, you know, uh, the cheap coolers. I hate the sort of concept of cheap and expensive, but these are not. They're 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 you know there's a yeah there's your bucks behind them. Uh, these are real excellent quality uh, coolers, and they have a price tag that you know sometimes you might not expect if you're just going to get one of those styrofoam coolers at the grocery store. Mm-hmm. Um, and what they found was is that a lot of people were clicking in and out of their PDPs and having a session, exiting the session, coming back, uh, looking at coolers again, exiting, coming back, um, switching across the PDPs, uh, the product detail pages. And what they found was and they did some qualitative research and they found that people were afraid of making the wrong choice. Not necessarily elated by making the right choice. That's very consumer psychology and that tracks uh-huh. what we know about consumer psychology. We're more afraid of making the wrong purchase than elated to make the right purchase. And they found this with their coolers. And so they instituted, they, they built this, they put it live and the numbers are ridiculous. It worked. All right. It, it made people feel more confident that they were buying the right thing. And that, now listen, a quiz is a quiz, but oh, it was, sorry, working off an actionable insight about their customers to, pre, to provide a better experience. 
No, that's exactly it. Like, you know, they're, they're looking at the data. They see what's going on. A lot of people come in and out. And that's a great example of how they were able to, like, nudge it, you know, and it was just enough nudge. Again, yeah. People feel a little more confident and, and it paid off, like, huge. And if you're not, if you're honestly, this extends to anything you would do on web, email, uh, or, or et cetera. If you're not thinking about your audience, your segments, your your users, mm-hmm. your customers at the end of the day, then you're just noise. All you are. God, how many emails do we get? <laughs> how many websites do we go to with the same crap on them? Like, if you're not thinking about how, like, what the, the, the active signals your customers are giving you and then creating uh, an activation based on that, what are you doing? You're just noise. Right. Now, 100%. Like you mentioned before, you know, about using RFM, you know, that selling like that urgency message to the audience that really, that will be a trigger for them. Like right. for me, you know, how many of us are really getting like five urgent emails from the same company, uh, you know, that their sales ending, uh, you know, it, it just, yeah. And you only signed up because you wanted to see what the emails look like. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that might be a bit on the message. Uh, but yeah, no, 100%. It's like, how many times can you the same like, promotional email to somebody every single day? And you're like, oh, okay. You know, it's sort of like the very legendarily documented uh, sales spiral at Gap. Uh, you know, there's no urgency. There's because there's a, yeah, I know there's going to be a freshman every time that I go back. No, no. Yeah, it actually gave me an idea, you know, your example with Yeti. And it just gave me, you know, just for a client that I'm, you know, I'm working with that sells tables and furniture. So it's big purchases. So, you know, like if you could just steer them a little close, you know, give them that little, you know, with, you know, usually think of wizards and stuff, stuff from like the 90s. <laughs> but yeah. I'm sure Yeti's is, is gorgeous. You know, it's like, you know, nice. like you said, group or one, you know, I'm sure it's like crowd or no crowd. You know, it's like very simple, nice UX and and, and quick and easy. Um, yeah, I'll try to recreate that. You're understanding how your customers want to be spoken to and what they need as well. And you're really basically at the end of the day, you're paying attention to them. Uh, a lot of times we fall into this trap of just thinking about us. What inventory do we want to get out the door? Uh, what promotions do we have coming up? What are our events? Nobody cares. Nobody cares about that, but people have, they, they need different messaging and marketing and information from you at different times. And it's just understanding again, how do we group those people, right? What are the segment, the segmentation concepts that are important to us? Stick to one and then just get, like, listen to them, listen to the data. They're not just clicks. Clicks are actual actions human beings are taking. And those clicks are telling you something. They're not just clicks. Anybody can say this good, this bad when you look at the numbers, but it takes a real marketer to think about, well, this was, we didn't get the clicks or we didn't get the click through right here. Why? What did we not connect? What were we trying to accomplish? And why did it not connect with this group of people? All right. Awesome. All right. What about newer companies or companies with very little data? Yeah. Well, how can they, how can they do something awesome? <laughs> you know, like- yeah, I would say, you know, number one um, is like, there's the, the, the fallacy of perfect data. There's no such thing as perfect data. There's absolutely no such thing. I actually, um, I like active signals, right? I, I, I think that past behavior is a very poor indicator of future behavior. I stole that one from the sports world as an avid sports fan, but it, it's a bad, it's a bad predictor of future behavior. And so I would say, go with Go with what you, if you're opening and operating, you're getting something back. So keep it simple. Keep it really, really simple. I, you know, I start with, a, you know, if you only have conversion and AOV, 
fine, start with that. And then start to segment, I love intent, intent um, audiences, basically switching people. It's essentially a marketing funnel, low intent, medium intent, high intent. High intent are the people who are giving you signals that they're ready to buy. Medium intent are somewhere in the middle and low intent is, is, is signals that are not ready to buy. You can do that based on the type of activity they're taking actively on your site. We use paid views quite a bit. There are a lot of different ways you could define it, but you could start with something really basic like that. If they're visiting a type, they're 20 plus pages, that's a really good signal that they are interested <laughs> in something, right? And then start to start to carve those, start to carve out the plan and the process first, and then run with what you got. Keep it simple. All right. Thank you for that. All right. What are your top five email marketing tips for 2021? Yeah, I, I should have said 2022 because we're almost there. But yeah, we are almost in 2022. <laughs> uh, conceptually weird to get my head around. Um, I, it's a it's a great question. Let's see if we can get to five. I would say you know number one is um, cut out the noise. Listen, this might change depending on who you are as a brand, right? If you're just like a volume shop, fine. But um, I would say make your emails count. We all get so much email. We get so many emails. And a lot of them say that look, talk, walk, and sound the same. Um, so really, really make your emails count. Plot out your cadence, like plot out your email strategy um, based on all the emails that somebody could get from you. And make sure, you know, try to find this is easier said than done, which is why I love being on the vendor side, <laughs> is, is, you know, Make sure that you are finding that sweet spot between, you know, not communicating enough with our customers and over communicating with them um, and tweaking uh, based on what the what the data is telling you. Uh, but make every email count, <laughs> like cut through, like, you know, the, it, it's it's make the emails count. That's number one. Number two is, um, you know, get get that email list. Right. Get that email list right. Understand who, like, what what your important segments are and who they are as well. Like, that's really important. It's not just uh, okay, we created our important segments, but it's really understanding what those segments, who who they are, and what they mean and what they need from you. So carve out that strategy based on them. Number three is then execute segmented emails. So let's not send the same ones to everybody all the time. Let's make sure that we are um, executing based on our email list accordingly. Number four is have actual brand voice. Have an actual brand voice. Like make sure that your your emails count. Like make, again, back to number one, like make them interesting. Make them like real. Don't just use the same regurgitated copy we see from every email in the world. Like carve out that space for you as a brand and talk to your customers the way they want to be talked to, uh, which is like human being. You know, I, I go crazy every time I see a product recommendation widget that says, well, that might be some high garbage, really, but that customers also love. I hate that. It's so droll. It's so boring. It's so non-personable. It's not human. It's just like, ugh, I don't know, whatever. Let's just put this. There's a reason why, for example, they're recommending a, a certain set of products. So just tell people what that is. Be transparent with them. <laughs> and number five, be really attuned and sensitive to your data and um, you know, understand what's working, what's not working, and don't be afraid to tweak. Love your answers. All right. So what are the pitfalls in using data? You know, I think we've all seen like bad, you know, like that's just too much. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Facebook. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, listen, I don't know. I mean, the, the pitfalls, I, I uh, it's a wonderful, it's a fantastic question. I would say uh, this is a hot take. I think IDP or like identifying personal data is so overrated. I know I'm probably wrong. Uh, maybe I'm wrong, maybe I'm not, I don't care. I, I think it's so overrated. Do I really care that I know someone's like name? Uh, like, and what? birthday? Yeah, <laughs> honestly, how many like birthday emails do we get? One um, I don't need that from, you know, Puma, whatever, you know, uh, I, uh, I, I'm just saying like, like, I, I think what's more important is the, the actions that you're taking, um, rather than like who you are, that that's not particularly important to me. Um, but I'm sure right. I'm glad that I'm not thinking about it. what do you think? Um, I think you're spot on. I mean, I think, yeah, the action, like, you know, action driven marketing is going to be much more important than like, oh, you know, it's their birthday. You know, but <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. It's it's. I want to listen to what you're saying to me now, as opposed to what you said to me in the past, or who you exactly are. It doesn't matter. Anymore. Number two is if you do have that data, if there is a use case with that data, or even not, is just be transparent with people. Like that's so. It's such an <laughs> simple, obvious concept. Hey, we're showing you this because. X. Why don't people do that more? It drives me crazy. I don't know why people don't just don't tell you why I'm showing you this. For example, if it's as simple as a recommendation trade, because you bought this in the past, or you're looking at this, and this is why these I'm showing you these products. But also, it's just like ha- be human with people. Be down to earth. Don't you know people being a faceless, nameless, expressionless, personalityless brand is very uh, is antiquated. Is out. It's antiquated. People want and expect brands to mean something, uh, to be something, to have a voice. So be transparent. Yeah, and I think you're seeing that so much more. You know, with smaller brands, or you know, they they're not like afraid of their shadow. <laughs> you know, they could be a little off, and it's okay. I you know, that. I like always asking people what are their top five brands. I don't know if I'm asking you that question, but like, like close that malware bites thing. But, <laughs> Yeah, like what? Like the brands I love are all these smaller brands that are just being hilarious and fun and, and just having a real personality in the inbox. Yeah, you know? and uh, there's one in particular. Um, I'm blanking on their name, but they make bags. It's like baboon to the moon. Start there. Hey now. Okay. <laughs> yeah, no, and they're using all caps. They're doing ridiculous imagery. They're just like being hilarious. I mean, like for me, like their like best subject line of the year was. What does space smell like? They did a candle that smells like space. Oh, love it. <laughs> <laughs> love it, yeah. Like, how could you not open that? It was crazy. Well, yeah. yeah so I just love that. 100%. I think, I hope, you know, what you're pushing, you know, is that bigger brands will also catch on. And, and you know, like, I think we've seen it a little bit, maybe with like Oreo and, you know, like, you know, here and there, not really on a grand scale. I'm definitely coming from a corporate world that was afraid of its own shadow. You know, like it's, it's a frustrating point. <laughs> you know that I, uh, I love that. Ex- I love that term. Uh, I'm going to steal that. Uh, yeah, the Oreo. Don't be afraid to dunk in the dark in the famous <laughs> blackout. Like that's a legendary example. From that, one of the people who wrote that tweet. Uh, but it was classic. And it also my favorite thing about that is that you know, they had a war room, like a Twitter war room during the Super Bowl, uh, and they were like um, empowered to do it. Like they uh-huh. to make the decision they needed to make. <laughs> yeah, so good for Oreo. You know, good for good, good for them. Yeah.
you know, my last thing with the data as well, if you are going to use personal data, if there is a use case or, or whatever for it, ask, like really be opt, like super opt-in, like ask people if they want to be remembered, you know, and make sure that you're really, really clear of what you're going to use and why you're going to use it and how you're going to use it. Um, that is so massively, massively underrated. People will expect, again, they expect sort of a human side of the brand on the, on the other side. So if you just talk to them and say, hey, are you cool with this? Do you want that? Do you want us to remember who you are and use this information? You know, opt in. If not, and definitely don't have it be an opt out. All right. Awesome. All right. So yeah, I did have this question in here. So what are your favorite brands and why? Yeah, I, this one's a killer for me because my, for years, I, um, there was a website, it was my favorite website on all of the internet from an SEO. This is my, very much my search uh, background, my SEO background. There was a company called Best Made Co. And I thought they had the best damn website uh, out there. They had, talk about brand voice and expression. They knew who they were, their copy represented it. They were, um, every single product that they had, um, they had a wealth of like very um, sort of relevant detail and information. Um, and they had this way of um, utilizing product imagery that essentially recreated the in-store experience online. And, you know, if they had, they had bags and jackets and uh, random stuff like camping stuff that, you know, this Brooklyner is never going to use, but um, they had this, uh, they had this way of using product images. Again, like they would have bags and they would show you the stitching on the inside of the bag in like really clear high resolution format. Um, so you could see the tiny details. Really what it means is that they thought about this. They thought about what their customers wanted to see and then they gave it to them and they were consistent on every PDP on every product image, on every product, I should say, they used the, the same, they had the same quality of information from the product imagery to the specs of the product, uh, to the write up of what the product was, where it came from, how it was made, why it was made, etc. They really provided a fantastic wealth of information. They folded during, or they got bought during the pandemic. So it's, it's, uh, oh. it's, it's really <laughs> sad that they were, they outranked Amazon for camping. And anybody in search knows you don't outrank Amazon for anything, but they outranked Amazon for camping, which is crazy. Um, and some other things. I, um, this one is super lame, but I love, I love Google. Uh, I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a Pixel guy and a Google Fi guy, even have their phone service. But more so than that, I love Google products because I think they're very user. Again, it's all sort of connecting back to the same theme. They're all focused on the user experience. Um, and I think that the way they present their information, the way they present their products is very, it's some of the best use of white space, which I know is underrated. I, some of the best use of white space I've ever seen where they don't clutter and they don't shove every bit of like any, they don't just shove everything in front of you at the same time. They're very specific about what they show you and why they're showing it to you. And they had the best marketing email I've ever seen, uh, which I just got like a month ago uh, for their Google Nest cam. And it was just clean, concise. Again, the detail was there. The imagery was there. The benefits, they were benefit led, not feature led. And I, I know that's such a lame answer, but I really love people. No, look, I think 
a lot of people are loving Google, but they won't, they won't talk about it. Yeah. So it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> sort of problematic aspects to YouTube and stuff. But um, other than that, I love the way they do marketing. I love, I love the way that they show their products uh, when they market. And uh, that, that's something that is, there are a lot of, a lot of, there's so many ads and emails and this and that, where they don't actually show you the product and why and the what and the benefits of it. Um, and they're excellent. Their, their marketing agency, uh, which I think is in-house, is, is so good at that. And uh, yeah, anyway, this one is super New York. Uh, probably not relevant for a lot of people, but uh, Manhattan Mini Storage. <laughs> not only that, Manhattan Mini Storage, but they are legendary for their subway ads. And uh, but more than that, um, this is a this is a brand that's not afraid of their own shadow, and they have very brash, very very New York. It's, they have like incredibly brash. Uh, marketing. They're not afraid to, to dabble into politics at all. You know, it's a storage company, you know, you would think who cares? <laughs> right. Incredibly memorable, funny, polemic. What's the word that I'm looking for? Sort of uh, <laughs> uh, controversial advertising. Um, and it's a company that knows its brand. It's a company that knows its brand. It is not afraid of, of being their full brand all the time. Well, good for them, you know, like, think about it, you know, we're talking about a storage company, you know, like... And we're talking about... <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. That's it. Manhattan Mini Storage. Yeah, what a company. <laughs> yeah, it's exactly. I mean, it is the, it's the, it's the least interesting product out there, but they make it interesting. And, right. Uh, it's so yeah. interesting because also, like, the other products that I've had, you know, the other answers to those questions that I've gotten a few times is uh, Penzi's Spices. I don't know them. You don't even know them, but like apparently they're also like they're political. That's they're they're super political. They're very they're very liberal. I think. Okay, I think that's their bend. But they're sure. not afraid to let people know that. You know, like right. <laughs> they're yeah. And uh, so yeah, other people I've had on this channel, you know, have, uh, have told me Penzies, Chubbies, and just you know, think about it. They they're all small niches. Yeah. That uh, just yeah, just say we want to make it, and we're not going to be, we're not going to try to say super PC. We'll have fun with it, and we'll see where it takes us. And, yeah, one hundred percent. I, I love, awesome. that. I love anybody who knows, understands their brand voice. And again, there's not afraid of the shadow. I'm already stealing it. <laughs> All right, awesome. All right, so what? I mean, you talked to this a little bit. You mentioned um, Nike Plus, I guess, is a favorite campaign. Uh, but anything else come to mind, like of a specific email, perhaps, or um... there? Yeah, well, the Google Nest one is is such a cool, is such an awesome <laughs> example. And again, it was just so like expertly crafted and well designed, and you could even add a card directly from the email itself, uh, which I loved. Like it enabled the actual action that they wanted you to take. They were very clear about the action they wanted you to take, and they were very deliberate about what they were showing you and why they were showing it to you. And it was just clean, crisp design that I, I think was just an, a, expertly done. I signed up for, I collect whiskey and scotch, sort of my pandemic habit, uh, hobby, I should <laughs> say. My pandemic hobby, uh, I, I like to collect sort of rare or um, out there scotch and, and whiskeys. And uh, I signed up for a company called Flaviar, which is a, a subscription service. And this is also another brand uh, that really knows its voice. And they send 
act like they know that anybody signing up for the service really wants education about like different distillation techniques and different expressions, uh, whiskey expressions that, that are that are being made or what's new in the market. Um, and they have excellent, they have a real focus on content, not just like the draw subscription service itself. They have an excellent focus on content. They're always coming out with new things. And they have these really beautifully executed and designed campaigns that they don't overload you. They don't overload you at all, uh, but you can expect one, you know, once a week. And it usually has really great sort of like educational information in the email itself. I love the way they do that. Yeah, and that's awesome because like they're just enhancing what they're doing already. You know, I mean, you're a subscriber, you're getting their thing. You know, other people say don't send them anything except for like the order confirmation. They're like, right. no, 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 that's not what we're doing here. We're going to keep you more interested and more interested. And so something just like about, you know, the company you just mentioned is like, I've had a member, I remember seeing a very memorable uh, abandoned cart email from a company called Whiskey Loot that was like saying like, you know, all the objections you would have or things you could do with all these tiny bottles that you're getting every month. Yeah, it was like, it was a humorous, but it was real. But, it, you know, it was, I think that's it. When you like go strong on copy and, you know, you make it really about people. <laughs> and and how it it resonates. Yeah, it totally resonates. All well, that relevancy is is hard to you know is super underrated. And you know, for example, like they'll you know you'll buy a particular bottle, um, and then they'll send you information about like a, a tasting uh, that they're doing with a you know like an expert in the field based on that or something similar. And so that relevance and that voice and that you know the design principles of not sho- shoving everything in your face all the time. How many emails have we all gotten that it's like? every product in the world that they could sell there's no rhyme or reason to the email there's no theme to the copy there's no theme to the structure and they just shove everything at you just because i would say you can tell how a company operates by looking at their email and see how much groupthink is involved in the crafting of this email or are you letting a marketer make the decisions that they need to make and giving them you know empower empowering them and, and giving them creative design uh, license, I should say. All right. Now we've reached the end of the road. And um, I just uh, give you the floor to you know, say whatever you want. Oh, man. What a platform. <laughs> 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 uh, <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll spare you the festivist jokes as a sign. No, I, I would say, um, you know, the most important thing for me is uh, at the end of the day is understanding your customers. And I would say for every brand, big, medium or small out there, um, have a really great concept of what the most important segmentation is for uh, is is out there for you as a company and stick to it and always ask yourself why the performance is what the performance is whether it be on an email campaign um, or any of your web activations anything you're doing in your app marketing or advertising um, on property or off um, always try to understand relate it back to your to your customers and understand them and what they want from you and when you become customer centric, right? That's the process of becoming customer centric is doing things for your customers, not because of just what you need. Um, you'll find um, that you it's it's gonna it's gonna take your performance to the moon because it's all about them and not about you. Thank you so much. Uh, I really enjoyed our time together. Likewise. Um, I'm gonna let I'm gonna let you leave, but if you could stick in the waiting room, I'll appreciate it. We could chat a little bit afterwards. That sounds um, great. All right. Thanks for coming. I really appreciate it. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of Inboxing. Next week, we're coming back with Chad White. Chad White is the author of The Email Marketing Rules, which I personally consider a Bible for all email marketers. I want you to have a copy. And it really like lays out exactly how to you know, avoid the spam. It, it includes everything. That's why I consider it such a great book. So check that out and make sure you tune in next week. And thank you again for our sponsor, uh, OnGage. And I recommend going to OnGage and um, saying, hey, check out, you just go to hilloberg.com slash OnGage. And um, if you go that route, you'll get 10% off with the first six months of OnGage. So it's a great platform and also has a lot of amazing features. So check that out. And also, if you're interested in sponsoring and helping the show, you can head to hilloberg.com sponsor and get details about that. Mm-hmm.